and, and what he would have for you. So let's just go in prayer and ask for that. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I'm hoping you would pray as well, that you would just go with me, and let's just ask that God would open up his word to us so that we do hear what he has for us, and that he would speak to you. Maybe one of these Proverbs would be very specifically for you in a way, that it would just be what you needed in this moment. So let's go before him right now and ask him for that. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's good. Thank you that what you bring to us is right in a world that is so often not right topsy-turvy and confusing. May your word be a light unto our path. God, may you speak to us this evening in ways that whether it be confirming things that you've already spoken to us, whether it be kind of dropping in our path a, a correction of something that needs to be corrected, but in your tenderness and your kindness would you meet us in a way that through this evening we would hear you. We would hear what you would speak. We would hear what you would say. God, we're asking for that right at this moment, right in this space, that your will would be accomplished and that you would help us to hear your voice. We look to you for that, asking you to open up your word as we trust you in this space and time. We do that together in Jesus's name. Amen. Amen. Our world is incredibly broken. I know that I say that statement, and maybe you understand it, but I, I, I like the way it was worded to us in the book of Isaiah, where he said he looked at the broken spaces, and he says, you know, they call right wrong, and they call wrong right. And, and honestly, that's so often what happens in the midst of a broken world, that there's a misunderstanding of what's right and wrong. Now, I don't know where this is for you. It might be that you have been given that heritage of a godly heritage, and you grew up with kind of a biblical morality and understanding. And so for you, there's just been, you know, kind of a clear north, if you will, uh, of values in the midst of it. I just want to quickly pause and say, I didn't have that. Like, I didn't grow up that way. I grew up in a very worldly culture. I didn't get saved until I was, you know, a senior in high school. And I can still remember, I mean, it still is happening where some of what began to happen is God, be, you know, after he saved me and began working my life is he had to kind of like reorder right and wrong for me. I mean, just this whole place is like, oh, I, I thought that was right. <laughs> that's kind of what I was, that's how I grew up. And oh, and, and just kind of reordering right and wrong were constantly at needs in my life, not just so that I could do the right thing, but I would even understand that it was the right thing, that even understand just the, the bearings of that. Proverbs is one of those spaces that is partly that. It's giving us wisdom. It's giving us understanding, but also value. So we can look on things and say, okay, I get it. I see where God is, and maybe to recognize we're in process in it, but sometimes just to give us that orientation. Some of that here in chapter 26 is specifically that way, and it may be just some confirming for you of things that you're like, I, I knew that, it's just good to have that reaffirmed, or it might be that you come into this this evening where you're going to find, huh, I just, I, I, I've always thought differently than that. I've seen that differently. And what needs to happen if that's where you are is that you would admit, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Like if I, if I, have a, if I, if I come to a, this is a different opinion, your perspective of this is the right perspective, and then to allow that orientation to re readjust so that you would find yourself being pressed and pursuing what God has for you. Well, again, we've been in chapter 26. We got through part of it last week, but as a quick reminder, there are about three major issues addressed here in chapter 26. The first is dealing with fools. 
So for the first 12 verses, it really talked about what that's like, dealing with those who the Bible says are foolish, those who reject God, who reject his ways, and how we kind of orient our lives around that. We made our way through that last week, and so now we come to the second major kind of issue that it's dealing with in chapter 26, and it's what describes it there at the beginning of verse 13. It's where we're going to pick it up this evening, and it says, the lazy man, and we'll just pause there for a moment. Laziness. Yeah, we're going to talk about that for the next few verses from 13 to 16. It's as if he just pulls before us some understandings about what this is and, and where that is. Now, I thought it would just be good for us just to pause for a quick moment and, and just say again, maybe we're going to say some things that you absolutely agree with. Maybe you're going to say, well, I, I totally understand that's where I am, but we also need to recognize maybe it's not. Maybe just by saying some of these things will be reorienting your life. So what is laziness? Well, maybe just a, a simple definition of laziness, the adjective that's given to us there. It's an adver- uh, adverse or decline, just ability to work or activity or exertion or causing idleness or indolence. It's this place where we look at it and we're just adverse to it. Like we just, you know, I just, I don't feel, I, we move away from it. We find ourselves just constantly being pressed that way. Now, as I think about that, I want to quickly say Don't go to the other extreme, because that's also unbiblical. I mean, I think about workaholism that would be a part of life, and God would also, you know, orient that as a bad thing. He would tell us much in the book of Ecclesiastes about the folly of the person who spends all their days working. And he's like, what what are you doing? You know, that's not the way God's oriented life. He's built, you know, rhythms of both rest and and joy in the midst of it. So when we talk about the, the danger of laziness, we're not saying, hey, God wants you to, you know, totally, you know, just be a workaholic or look at all seasons of rest as a bad thing. That's neither biblical nor untrue. We think about some who, you know, kind of find yourself in the, in the phase of life that you're retired and, and in the midst of all that, and there's joy to find in that, but even in that, there's a danger. And the danger is, again, to kind of orient ourselves around this of a place where we look at it and say, okay, we are not meant to just be lazy. Now, I'm saying that, and again, I may just be speaking to nobody here this evening, but I just feel like I need to say it. There's so many other things pressing the other way. Your flesh is pressing the other way. I mean, there's something about honestly understanding that in our foolishness and flesh, we would think laziness sounds great. Like, well, that would be great. Do nothing. You know, like that just sounds like life, you know. Um, But we find ourselves in a world that is definitely pressing this. I find ourselves in a world that is saying, like, real life would be, you know, to retire at 40 and do nothing for the rest of your life. And real life, it would just be, you know, never to work again and to live your life playing video games or some other weird space and to find, like, okay, that's, and there's something here that if that's where we find ourselves being pulled, we would be, be rescued from it. In fact, I would say it's even a satanic thing. We really fight three battles our flat, with our flesh, the world, and the devil. And if you're a follower of Jesus here this evening, then this is his great tactic to make you waste the rest of your life. You know, he, I don't believe he can get to your soul. I think if you are really in Christ, you're his, but then he has one simple tactic, waste your life. Waste who you are. Don't find yourself being productive. Don't find yourself being productive for the kingdom of God specifically. And so there's something about this where I'm just inviting you to see it to understand when you see it this way that you would just find yourself being rescued from that, even an orientation from that. 
So with that as kind of a a preface and a longing for that, let's just quickly hear these Proverbs that just in, in power but almost in humor kind of address laziness so that we would see it for the bad thing that it is. Well, it begins there in verse 13. It says, the lazy man says, there's a lion in the road. <laughs> there's a fierce lion in the streets. And so you get this guy who's lazy and this lady, whoever, lazy man, woman, and he and just begins to make these crazy statements. Like, there's a lion. There's a lion in the road. Now, I, I think you get it. Like, that didn't happen in culture then. It doesn't happen today. This is a far-fetched excuse to do nothing. It's kind of like, well, you know, you know, some people die doing that. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, like, you, you know, if I go and work, I've heard of people that have a heart attack doing that. You know, I mean, it's just like, you just never know what's going to happen in the midst of this. In fact, it kind of gets almost just like, there's a fierce lion. Like, it's not just a lion. It's like, he's like a, a consuming lion. And it's as if you're looking at somebody who is, you know, living this place where just far-fetched excuses. In fact, you might just say it that would use almost any excuse not to work. Almost any, like that's kind of the idea here, almost humorously of, of this place of just, oh, no, you know, that's why I don't do that. You know, some people die, some people get sick doing that, so it's, you know, it's just better for me to do nothing. And, you know, just it's scary out there. And, and yet there's a place where you think, you know, that becomes an excuse that is a foolish excuse. And so he just kind of puts it in a funny way just to say, hey, that's what laziness does. Laziness seeks to find any reason it can. To, to not be involved, to, to not be about the things that God has us to be about in one sense, again, just to see the folly of it and to be rescued from it. Add to that, in verse 14, he says, as a door turns on its hinges, so does the lazy man on his bed. And so again, you kind of picture this and you're seeing a door just moving back and forth on its hinges and, and, and just moving that way. He says, that's exactly how the, how the lazy man moves. Now, it's obviously meant to be kind of a humorous picture, but Bible students kind of wrestle a little bit what it is. I mean, some say that's like, that's the farthest a lazy man moves. It's like he just kind of like rolls from one side to the other. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, okay, now we're just going to go back over this way. Or maybe it's this place of just constantly being oriented to it. Like this is as much labor as you see as, you know, kind of moving from one place of laziness to another. I mean, we would maybe say, you know, boy, they get up out of bed to go lay on the couch, you know, and then they get up from the couch to go, you know, you know, sit in the recliner. It's like, wow, that's just, you know, it's like you just move from one laziness, one lazy place to another. He says, that's just this place, it's like, it's doing nothing. It's going nowhere. It's not moving forward. And in one sense, he just says, you know, just helps us to see the folly of that, that that's not you know what life is. Life is not meant to be that way where it's just this, you know, I get up so I can fix food. So, I mean, so I can, you know, get a bite to eat so I can take a nap so I can, I mean, just like, well, no, do something. I mean, there's something about life that you are made for and meant to be about and to only live in this kind of, you know, uh, you know just rhythm of nothingness is not where God has made life to be. He's not designed that for any one of you. There's not anybody here this evening that God would look and say, you are just an excuse. You know, I just want you to kind of be, you know, window dressing, you know, on the side for other people who are going to do something significant in life. It's not true. It's not where it is. And if that's where you're living your life, if your life is only about, you know, just making it through the day uh, with whatever, the lowest level of effort you can do, you're missing out what God has for you. Be rescued from that. Be rescued from understanding that that's even a good thing, because it certainly is not. 
We'll turn the page over to verse 15. It says, a lazy man buries his hand in his bowl and it wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. This is one that was given to us back in chapter 19 as well. But again, you could just look at this and say, here's this lazy person and, and there they are. And it's meant to be funny. It's meant to almost as, as humorously as you can think about it. There they are. They got their Cheerios, you know, and they poured it and they put their spoon in there and they're like, oh, you know, I have to lift the spoon. You know, it's like, I don't know if I feel like lifting the spoon. He says, no, it's just, it, it just is crazy to think about how, how, how difficult this would be. And it's meant to be humorous. And yet, understand this. That, that's a truth for life in some ways. That laziness can bring you to the place that doing the bare minimal is exhausting. You know, just doing the, like, just getting just the, the very, I mean, we're not talking about even doing anything. We're not even talking about trying to be something. It's just like making it through the day and just feeding yourself. I mean, just doing the mere basics uh, becomes exhausting. And again, it's just meant to tell us if that's where we are and, and not in any way that's kind of being condemnation. I mean, if you've had days like that, I'm not trying to beat you up, but there ought to be a sense that you go, no, this is not living. This is not living. This is not what God has. This is not what life looks like. This is not, you know, where I'm just meant to exist and almost be exhausted doing the bare minimal. It's not what life is. And to be rescued from that and be able to say laziness is not something that God has for us. He adds one more into the list of these. He says, a lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. So once more, we're looking at this problem of laziness and all that it is, and yet here becomes one of the most difficult things about it, is that the person who finds themselves this way so often thinks they're doing well, uh, thinks they have a, you know, a bead on life, and it is wiser than anybody else, and, and it has the idea that he just looks here, you know, than seven men, or kind of just this complete understanding of anybody else who can answer sensibly, and right here it becomes that problem. Now, Again, my, my aim right here is just to shatter that. If, if it's speaking to anybody here this evening, the problem with laziness is it can almost just form its own you know, space in life that we do have this defense mechanism like, hey, you don't know, you don't understand, uh, you know, this is just life for me, and, and, you, and you can be there, but it can set this place up where you're not even listening and thinking, you know, this is not it. This is not, life is not meant to be, you know, just barely making it through um, barely, you know, and doing nothing that makes a difference and nothing that God would have for me. Now, sometimes, again, we have those struggles, we have those places, but if we can do nothing else but orient ourselves and say, that's not a good thing. Like, that is not true. Now, wherever I find myself, and probably in this, you know, all of us in this space of saying, okay, I, I, maybe I waste more time than I should. Maybe I miss some of what God has. But it should orient us into a place of saying, that's not good. That's not God. That's not what he has. He has us not to be lazy. He has made us for purpose. He's designed us for good works. It tells us in Ephesians 2.10 that he has created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's gone ahead of us to prepare in Christ for us to walk in. So there's not anybody that God said, no, actually, I wanted you to do nothing. I just wanted you to exist. And it's like, I made you for something. I made you for purpose. I made you for something. And there ought to be something inside of you that just says, I want to pursue that. I, I want to pursue more than just existing. I want to pursue 
fulfilling what God has for my life. I want to say that that's not a good thing. And so again, to feel just both your sinful propensity, the world that would seek to move you in that way, but again, Satan who would seek to mire your life into nothingness, that you would be able to say, okay, laziness, not good. Like, I just know that's not what God has for me. That's not where he wants to go. And again, maybe I've said that everybody agrees with tonight, but maybe it needs to be rescue. And may God make it so, so that we just understand that is a foolish way uh, to live your life. All right, well, we move past laziness. So we've talked about folly last time in chapter 26 of dealing with foolish people. We've talked about laziness. And now we move into the last section of, of chapter 26, And if we were to kind of put it together, he doesn't use a single term uh, like he did in the first section. In the first, you know, the 12 verses, he mentioned folly. And in these last verses, he mentions laziness. But everything in these final verses has to do with the tongue, has to do with kind of the wickedness of the tongue or the power of the tongue. Uh, Certainly a place where we would just both recognize it and, and then kind of orient our lives around this. Now, here's what I know. I know this, that I'm not speaking uh, to somebody that doesn't need this. I like the way it gives it to us in the book of James. When he talks about this in James chapter 3, and he tells us, you know, that the tongue is set among our members as a wicked fire. It's, it's as if something that is an uncontrollable, you know, evil in us. And it, and it, and it cannot be tamed. And so I know this. There's not anybody here this evening that's going, well, I'm so glad that's not something I wrestle with. Boy, we could just skip this one as far as I'm concerned. You know, totally got this one wired down. I want to tell you it's not true for any one of us, but it does need to be a recognition where we see it and then both with a longing to move forward, but maybe once more, if we do what God would have for us this evening, to fix some things. It may be that everything I say in these verses are like, well, I agree. Like, I know that's true. I struggle with it. I'm trying to move in the right direction, but it could be that you're going to come at something and say, huh, that's not the way I saw it. That's not the way I understood it. And may God fix even that and and, and draw us into a space that we'd recognize just both the power of the tongue, uh, but also just the desire to handle that well. So picking it up there in verse 17, he who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. And once more, just powerful, you could kind of imagine. So here's this person, you know, you, just, you walk by and there's somebody having an argument and you just decide to insert yourself into the argument. You decide to, to begin meddling in, in things that, have, that are not yours in, in, in many ways. And he says, here's what that's like. That's like one who takes a dog by the ears. Now we need to think about this for a little bit, but I also need to say this kind of carefully, but also hopefully helpfully. Culture has changed a little bit, and, and so I know I'm speaking to some of you that when you hear taking a dog by the ears, you know, you're thinking about Fluffy. You're thinking about, you're like, I love my dog, you know, me and my dog, we're like best friends, and, and, and so you're just, you're trying to just think that through, and it's not a, you know, that's kind of the culture we live in, but please understand, back in, in Middle Eastern culture, they, dogs were not pets. Uh, they didn't see dogs that way. Dogs were uh, wild animals. They were mongrels. Uh, they were, you know, kind of ones that were to be feared uh, in many ways. And so when the Bible uses the term dog, it is just this kind of idea of, you know, 
just vicious and untamed and kind of one of these beasts that just roamed the streets and caused problems kind of a deal. So kind of just try to orient yourself away from fluffy and, and try to think about something like terrible, like this scary kind of animal, like one that's like, you know, you just know it is just, you know, foaming with rabies kind of thing. And, you know, it's kind of kind of scary kind of deal. And he says, okay, when you get into a fight that's not yours, it's like you step up to that, that dog and you take it by the ears and you yank. And then you wonder, I wonder how that's going to go for me. You know, I wonder if this dog's going to go, oh, that's so much fun. You know, no, they, they, you're going to get bit. That's what's going to happen. I mean, there's just very little doubt, hands where they are, that that dog is not going to lick you. It's, not, it, it's going to bite you. And, and you're going to get wounded. And you're, going to, you're, you're finding yourself into a mess that it's like, what, why did I even do that? Well, that's what he's saying here. There's a danger where at times where we, we find ourselves there and he's saying, that's what it's like to do that. And yet we live in a culture that, um, for some, is nosy to an extreme. Where almost inserting yourself into other people's problems becomes the norm. It can happen sometimes just in, in life. It can happen in families. It can happen in workplaces. It happens probably in the biggest spaces. Uh, you know, on social media and those things where, you know, two people begin argument and then people begin inserting themselves into the argument. It's like, what are you doing? Like, you weren't even in the argument and now you're, you know, like, what, what are you doing? And it's like, no, this, this is dangerous. This is not how God has it to go. I found myself thinking about that and I was thinking in, in Jesus's life, you know, there's this moment where says one from the crowd just says some, hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Like, you know, this is an unfair situation, and you should just, you know, get involved into, into this situation. And Jesus said just so well. He said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And that's kind of an interesting just insight. Now, by the way, again, he's speaking this as an example, living that life of human uh, kind of walking. It's not a sense that God doesn't care because God is the judge or arbiter. But right now in his humanity and the place he's living, Jesus is giving us that example to live. And he's like, why, why would you even, what, what does this have to do with me? Like, that's not my space to even deal with you in this. And he doesn't. He doesn't insert himself into that argument. He doesn't side himself into the argument. In fact, he kind of takes it to a whole another level and teaches on covetousness, which is fun in the midst of the whole thing. Uh, but I just love that he didn't. I just love that someone's basically asking Jesus, hey, get involved in my business, you know, get involved in our argument. And he's like, no, like, that's not my, that's not, that's not what I'm doing. That's not my space. That's not where I walk in. And there's something beautiful to be able to say, hey, there's just this place where we recognize that that's not where we're supposed to go. That inserting ourselves into, into arguments is something that God would say, don't do that. Like, don't be that person that, you know, finds yourself feeling like, you know, two people are having an argument and all of a sudden you need to get in on it as if it was yours. Uh, you know, there's a place biblically to say that's not. It's not where he calls, kind of calls us to. And so it's a good piece of wisdom uh, just to say, hey, don't meddle in a quarrel that is not your own. May God rescue from us, us from that. All right, turn the page. Verse 18. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. I was only joking. 
Now you picture it, right? It's not a hard one. Just kind of picture this. He says, here's this madman. I mean, he's like, I mean, you just got to almost imagine this person who, you know, is walking through the city streets or whatever and literally, you know, not right in his own mind and so much so that everywhere he goes, he is just tossing, you know, you know, firebrands and, and, and throwing up arrows at people and, and, and he's just kind of causing chaos everywhere he goes. I mean, just it's this deadly thing. It's this place where, uh, you know, just randomly, um, without, you know, intention necessarily, but just folly, is what, he's, just, he's, he's causing a mess everywhere he goes. And, and death and destruction is in the wake of this person. He says, if you could see that and almost imagine what that's like, just the foolish place of living in that, it's the same way for someone who lies or deceives or says something to somebody, about somebody, and then covers that statement up by saying, it was just a joke. I was just joking. I, I, I really didn't mean it. Now, I want to just try to say this carefully, but may God help me just to make it land. I really think this is one of those things that's really real in our culture, uh, where there are people who are very much this way, who have no problem, you know, tearing into people, uh, making fun of people, uh, saying cruel and harsh things about them, and then their kind of answer to everything is, I was just joking. I was just joking. I didn't mean it. Yeah. You know, as if somehow that undid all the destruction you just did, uh, as if somehow that made it okay, even though it's destructive, because the tongue, James tells us, is this unquenchable fire. It is destroying lives. It is wounding or helping or hurting. It's powerful. And so to have this foolish place of thinking, hey, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt, calling people, speaking things that are unkind, and then just, you know, making light of it as if, oh, just, you know, I, I always do that to everybody. This is just a joke. And I'm just wanting to tell you that's not good. Again, I don't know that I'm talking to anybody specifically here this evening, so if you think I'm looking at you thinking, Jim, you know I always say that. No, I actually don't. <laughs> if that's you this evening, I'm just telling you, but don't let it be you. You know, humor's a, a, a God-given gift. We have the ability to laugh. We have the ability to find even joy in those things. But humor itself can become so destructive and, and so hurtful. I, I found it well to think through some that I've, I've liked to read in this. I think of one uh, who, you know, back probably more in my day, though some of you might have read through some of his stuff. I think it was Gail Irwin who, who said, you know, that for him, humor should almost always be self-depreciating. You know, it should never be attacking. You should never say something about somebody else. You, could, you, could, you can laugh about yourself. You can, you can make fun of your own foibles. You can, you, if, if, you're, if somebody is going to be, you know, the end of the joke, it should be you. It should be you. It shouldn't be, you know, so, you know saying something hurtful about somebody, you know, about, you know, their size or their weight or, or something, and then go, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, you know, I didn't really mean it. It's like, oh yeah, thank you very much, you know, just, just saying something unkind. There is a place where that's not true, because words, they are powerful. They, they affect lives, and so don't be that person who, you know, is this, like, madman, they're just walking through, you know, you know, homes and workplaces and being like, stab this person and throw a firebrand over there. And it's like, what did you even do? I'm just joking. You know, just kidding around, you know. Kind of, no, you're not. Your, your words are powerful. Don't let this 
cover of, of, of humor or just say I was just joking become a, you know, kind of a cover for where that would be. And again, it's very countercultural. It's a very countercultural understanding uh, in the midst of it, but definitely worth your understanding where you would say, no, it's not going to be me. You know, I want to be someone who speaks truth. You know, I'm going to do, you know, kind of what tells us in, in Philippians, you know, whatever is good and whatever is true, and whatever is just, and whatever is right, I'm going to speak those things. And it goes on to say, hey, let your, 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 your speech always be gracious, and, you know, and seasoned with salt. Let it, let it be that what flows out of your lips, you know, is, is, is gracious, and kind, and, you know, gospel-centered, which probably has the idea of seasoned with salt, that you're always kind of orienting yourself in that, so that you're not falling into this cultural place of hurting people, and saying it was a joke. All right, much more you could say there, but I'll leave it with you. It's enough for us just to be able to understand, hey, that's not a biblical understanding, nor way that God would say is good. Add to it, verse 20, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no talebearer, strife ceases. So it's a simple kind of almost proverbial statement that is, you know, not a good or bad thing. It's just true. You want to stop a fire? take kindling out of the way. I mean, that's what we do, right? I mean, you guys know, you've watched the fires that have happened around here, and you have, you watch the fires that have happened within New Mexico, and you know that perhaps that one of the things they do, you know, is firemen step into that, is like, how do we, you know, remove, you know, so that there's, there's less, you know, things that the fire can consume. You know, our, our goal is to, to get the stuff out of the way, and he says, if you could take that, if you could take you know, that which is, you know, kind of build a fire break or, or do whatever it is where there's nothing there that can catch that, the fire will stop. You, you can bring the fire to an end. You, you can do that. It's, a, it's a, just a simple firefighting tactic that works in the midst of it. But he says it's the same thing true when you think about problems in life. We have a tail bearer, which has the idea of a gossip someone who continues to carry the, the problem. So tailbearer can be gossiping in one sense, speaking about things uh, behind people's backs or saying things that aren't. But sometimes even the idea of tailbearer is kind of this interesting thing. It's as if you're still carrying it. You know, you're, you're just constantly carrying this problem. You're never letting it down. And so, you know, it would stop if you would just stop. You know, if you wouldn't keep bringing up the problem, if you wouldn't keep, you know, revisiting and, and re-introducing you know, in, it into there. There are problems in relationships, there are problems in families, in friendships, in churches that are honestly propelled by somebody who keeps bringing it up, who keeps, you know, throwing foot, you know, you know, wood back on the fire, says, we, we want to stop that. You know, and so part of what we do is that we don't do that. We are not to be the one that just keeps speaking those things. I found myself thinking about what it tells us in Peter. It says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. That last phrase quoted from Proverbs 10, but he says, here's what we are meant to be. We are not to be the kind of person that is tail-bearing, that is constantly carrying gossip and carrying problems. Instead, we're going to be kind of the firebreak. We're going to be the one that says, you know what? It can stop with me. I, you know, I'm going to cover this. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to be that person that, you know, doesn't kind of keep that, that, that moving forward, that when we think about relationships, when we think about friendships, uh, we are those who don't say it. Uh, we are those who allow that to come to an end. And again, it's just one of those places that you need to come to a place of understanding. That's what God would look for. Because, again, we have this. We have this place where 
there are friendships that are even just right now kind of teetering. And the problem is that there are people that are still speaking into that. Like, oh, you know, I remember when they said that about you. Yeah, I remember what they used to do to you. And I remember what they've said. And it's as if you just keep throwing wood on the fire. You just keep, you know, feeding the problem instead of saying, you know what? Hey, let's, let's cover that. Let's, let, you know, for, let's forgive. Let's, let's walk in that. And let's just, you know, be that one that does that. He calls us to that in a way that would say, if we would do that, if we would do that, there would be strife. There would be strife that would just go away. There would be strife that would end without that. And it's a good space for us to say, God, don't let us be that. Don't let us be the gossiper. Don't let us be the talebearer. Add to that. Flip the page over. He kind of adds to it in verse 21. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. So again, kind of same kind of picture, though it's just a little bit different. So the idea, again, is you have this place where you have charcoal, you know, you're kind of throwing on the fire, you're kind of feeding the fire, or, you know, wood to a fire. So you have a fire there, and, and you're just constantly feeding it so it's there. Now it's not just being a talebearer, it's being that kind of person that you're just contentious. You're the person that starts the problem. You're the person that creates that space. You're not just carrying the strife, you're creating it. And that is not who God made us to be. We are, we are to be the ones who walk in love and gentleness and kindness, to be the one that is constantly stirring up problems between people is just one of those places to sit there and say, that's a bad thing, to be that contentious person. In one sense, I would say, well, probably most of us here this evening go, that's true, I get that. But I may be speaking to somebody that's like, you know, it's not my fault. I'm just telling people what I think. I'm just telling people what I see. It's not, what they do with it is not my problem. It's like, no, you're contentious. You're, you're constantly creating strife. Don't do it. It's, it's, you don't want to be, be the thing in your wake. You don't want to be this person uh, who is doing that. It's not a godly uh, kind of attribute to be the person that is constantly stirring up strife. We are meant to be those who are rescuing people from that, that Jesus called us to be peacemakers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, theirs is the kingdom of God, that we are both bringing peace between God and people, but between people and people. Like in our wake, is peace, not strife. That's what we're made to be. We're made to be something different. And so again, none of us are doing it perfectly, but if at least we can orient ourselves and say, you know, being a peacemaker being, versus being a strife maker, I want to be a peacemaker. You know, I want to be someone that, you know, as I enter into situations, it, it leaves usually better, or I speak peace into people's lives. I don't create those issues and problems. May it be more and more true of us. Well, part of the problem is what he says in chapter 20, in verse 22. He says, the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. Uh, they go down into the innermost body. So he just gives us this picture of the problem with gossip, the problem with some of those things. It's just, it's like this sweet that just tastes so very, very good. They go down into the, into the innermost body. And so this is actually a repeated proverb. It was given to us in chapter 18, verse 8. So Again, it's one of those things we like to point out every now and then. If God repeats it, you need to hear it. Saying it once is enough. Saying it twice is even more. And in one sense, what he's just wanting us to understand is how difficult this is. 
So the idea of a tasty trifle, I think you probably get it, but so I don't know what it is for you. I wonder what your weak moment is. I wonder what your weak thing is. is, is I don't know if it's chocolate. Uh, I don't know if it's, you know, some, you know, you know, some incredible dessert that you happen to like in the midst of this. There is a place of just saying the problem with gossip is it's like that moment where you're weak and hungry and it just looks so good. It's like, oh, oh. You know, I want that. You know, I want that. You know, I, like that sounds good. Like, you know, ice cream sundae, like right now, that sounds really, really good. And the problem with is just admitting this, that's what gossip is like. Now, again, I, I, I don't know if you can admit that to yourself. Maybe you can. I want to try because I know it's true for me. I can walk by one of those conversations that's happening if it happens even in the church. I mean, other churches, you know, you guys, just, you, just, just illustration, uh, where people can be gossiping. And then there's this moment where I'm like, oh, really, what? You're like, what did you say? You know, they did what? You know, I mean, like, they can't even, you know, there's this moment where it could sound so just like, ooh, that sounds like, and, and part of what needs to happen is to realize, God, I, wanna, I, want, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that person. Uh, I want to recognize it's when it, when it happens so that I say, you know, I don't need, I, I, don't, I don't want, you know, I don't have to, you know, be, to be this person that is carrying on these things and, and telling stories or, or repeating those things. I, I want to recognize before they go down and, and enter into to who I am, just to be able to recognize that beforehand. Um, it's just worth doing. It's just worth understanding. And it's worth, again, so that you see this, so that when it happens, you'll just go, that was bad. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have asked. Uh, I shouldn't have uh, inquired. I shouldn't have listened to that conversation. That was a conversation I should have walked away from. You know, that was a conversation that I should have said, hey, you know what, I, you know, I love covers. I don't need to know. You know, you know if, you, if I need to pray for somebody, you can tell me to pray for them without giving me all the, the, the crazy details. Um, I don't need to know that. You know, and, and just enough to be that person that you recognize when this happens. Because I, I know it is that way for me. You know, I, I know early on, I just didn't really see it that way. But it is, the more I grew in some of these things, like now I can look and go, oh, I did that badly. You know, I did that. I, I shouldn't have done that. That was displeasing. That's not what God wants me to be because I, I, I took gossip in like a tasty, you know, trifle kind of thing. And I should not have done, you know, and just to see that and say, okay, God, rescue me from that because I don't want that to be who I am. I mean, that, that is just a destructive place where he would so long for our lives to be rescued. Well, with that, you can keep going. Uh, go to verse 23 at the end of it. It says, fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered in silver draws. So you have this idea of this picture of somebody who's very passionate and you know, very persuasive, and, and very, but, but there's wickedness to it. He says, if you could see what that's like, it's like earthenware covered with silver draws. Not a terribly hard thing to imagine, but just think it through with me for a moment. The idea of earthenware is something that's empty, pointless, not valuable at all. Silver dross would be, you know, kind of the place where you would be, you know, smelting silver, getting rid of stuff. This is the excesses that would run off of it. It's not really valuable, but if you were to see it, you might think it's valuable. So, I mean, it's not, just think about it this way. It's the idea that, he says, if you have somebody who's passionate, but the wickedness is inside, you might think when it's first there, it's like, oh, this is, that sounds really good. But when you get there, it's like there's no value to it at all. It, it's, you know, I thought it might be valuable. I thought it might be silver. I thought it might be gold. But it's just the off scourings of it. And then you kind of get underneath it, and it's destructive. 
Uh, It's a place that is altogether bad. And again, he's just giving us this picture of understanding that really what's flowing out from underneath is the key thing. They're not just being persuasive, not just being passionate, not just being, you know, somebody who's fervent. There's got to be a sense of it being true, of longing for it to be that way in us. And so in one sense, it's just a place of valuing and say it's not just about being persuasive or, you know, moving in a speech. It's, I want to be true. I want to be someone that walks in that. Well, there's probably more there, but I'll leave it. You can flip the page over. Notice with me, these ones really flow together, so I put them all on the screen for a second, uh, but then we'll break them apart. He who hates disguises it with his, li- his lips. He lays up deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. So let's just break it apart really quickly as he looks at this. He says, so here's the problem. He who hates that, that's the first part of it. So someone who's walking in hatred, someone who's living this place where they are someone that's hating and hating people and hating things about it, but they hide it. They hide it. They don't let anybody see it. They, they disguise it with their lips. But he says that person who just nurses that hatred, even though they're disguising it, they are laying up deceit within themselves. Probably the idea that they're lying to other people, but they're lying to themselves. That to have this place where you are allowing hatred to fester on the inside becomes a a self-deceived place. Now, I think about this, and I think about Jesus when he was talking about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard of old, that it was said, said for those old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, Jesus says, whoever is angry, Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of fire. So Jesus does this amazing thing where he takes and says, it's not just about, you know, hurting people or, you know, I don't kill anybody. I'm not a murderer. He says, but if you have hatred, if you are allowing that hatred to be inside of you, that is wrong. That is, that, that's that which would, God would find you know, unjust and that he would deal with that. It's one of those places that we would look at it and say wrong. So Jesus simply says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. So you're coming to worship God. You're coming to honor him. And there at that moment, you realize, boy, there's, there's hatred, there's conflict, there's something between me and somebody else. He says, leave your gift there. Go before the altar and go your way first. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He says, you know, you got to deal with this. This is so important. This is so important to, to deal with that anger, that hatred that's inside of you, that you do that before you could even come and worship with the Lord. You got to go and, and deal with this and deal with it well. Much we could say there, but let's just own we need to do this. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes on to give uh, what we know is the Lord's Prayer that we talk about every now and then. And as a part of the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us to pray, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So again, I give it to you every now and then. I think the Lord's Prayer is a great thing to pray through daily. I do. I use the Lord's Prayer every day, not just saying it verbatim, but just subject by subject. So, you know, kind of begin, you know, our Father who art in heaven. And I just spend some time, God, I want, I want to know you as my Father. I want, I want to love you. I want to love you first. I want to have that. I'll, I'll spend time worshiping him. So I move through each place, but so every day I get to this, and every day I come to this spot. God, I need forgiveness. God, I need just your, 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 your work here, but is there anything that I'm holding on to? 
is there anything that, that's in my heart right now that there's unforgiveness or anger or frustration? So again, what I'm trying to point out to you is for me, this isn't something you do once in your life. It's, for me, it's an everyday thing. It's an everyday thing. That's like, and, and it's just not uncommon, just, just being honest, that every now and then it's like, okay, yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, anger inside me. There's a little frustration in there, and I'm just, I need to come and just deal with this. I need to come and lay it down. I need to give it to you. I need to be forgiving. Um, it's a constant maintenance kind of a deal, because if you don't do this, it becomes destructive. If you don't root this out, uh, because again, Jesus is telling you, it's not okay. Like, this is not something to let, to let fester in your life, to be this person, as Proverbs says, you hate, you just pretend like it's not there. You know, nobody, you know, you're not, you're, not, you're not speaking it necessarily, but it's burning. It's burning underneath. It says, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to others. So it says, when that's there, when you notice that kind of thing happening in you, happening in others, it says, when he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. So even though this person is saying kind things, he says, the, the heart behind it is poisoning everything. The idea is that there are seven abominations uh, in his heart, and he uses the number seven is complete or, you know, so varied. In other words, this hatred, it's going to work its way out. It's going to work its way out one way or the other. You know, even though they are saying, it, it's just one of those places when you can look at that and think, it's, you know, that is, you know, even though they seem to be saying something nice, it's not going to be there because it's going to come out. It, it's, these abominations are going to be there. So he says, hey, don't, don't, don't put yourself in trust in that, you know, especially if you know it and somebody else don't trust in what that is, but certainly in us to recognize, hey, that's not where we want to be. And yet he takes it further. He says, though that hatred is covered by deceit, even though you're pretending it's not there, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. So even though, you know, you kind of cover it, pretend it's not there, don't let anybody else see it, he says, here's the thing. It's going to be revealed. It's going to be revealed before the assembly. So what does that mean? Uh, well, assembly is an interesting thing. It would often be used of religious gatherings. It's really in a New Testament sense, the thing that we'd say even before the body of Christ or the church. You know, some scholars look at this and say, well, there's a practicalness that, that it will be, people will see it eventually. And that's probably true. But there's probably also the understanding that, you know, we're going to stand before Jesus. You know, think about what Jesus told us when he spoke about it in Luke 12. He says, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that's not going to be known. These things that you hide, they're going to be coming out. They're going to be there. Therefore, he says, what you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. What you have spoken in the ear in the, ear, in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the housetops. And Jesus gives us this to us in this understanding of standing before a just and a holy God that that's not going to be hidden and, and it's going to be known. And so in the most simple and generous and kind way, deal with it now. Deal with it now. You know, deal with it now so that they'll be forgiven. I mean, God tells us, he, you know, if, as we deal with our sin and we deal with those things, he would cast it as, way, as far as away as the east is from the west. Uh, he would deal with those things, you know, deal with it now so that it doesn't have to be, you know, there. Be this person that recognizes, you know, anger, it's not okay just if you hide it. Just if you're really good at pretending it doesn't exist. If you're really good at not letting it come out, that is not okay. That is not okay. It will, it will poison your life seven ways. You know, one or another, you deal with it consistently. 
Be the kind of person that when you notice it, deal with it. And again, if you're like me, it's not one of those things that's like, well, I dealt with it a year ago. It's like, no, I dealt with it yesterday, and there it is again. <laughs> Fire re kind of kindled its way up over there a little bit. Like, well, let's kind of continue to wash this away so that it's not smoldering in here because it will be destructive, and he invites us away from it. All right, so we get that, flip the page, and we have two more that we'll quickly talk about, and then we'll end this evening. It says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. So the idea of digging a pit is the idea of digging a trap. You know, you're setting traps for people, almost like you'd have a trap for an animal, you know, and, and yet the trap here is the idea of not just trapping animals, but trapping people, or trying to create spaces that hurt other people. He says, but you're going to fall into your own trap. You're going to fall into your own trap. That's the way it works. If you kind of roll a stone, and it probably has this idea of, you know, trying to kind of create something, maybe kind of imagining almost like an avalanche kind of a thing. Like you're rolling a stone because you're hoping eventually it's going to crush somebody. He says, it's going to crush you. Uh, that, that will come back on you. And there's a little bit of kind of the law of reciprocity in this, this understanding that what we do comes back so often. And there's some interesting places to watch that biblically if we had time. You know, I think about it, you know, uh, you know, like in the book of Esther, when Haman, you know, kind of builds a gallows to, to hang Mordecai. He hangs on his own gallows. You know, there, there are so many times that what people intended for other people is what destroys them. Paul would say it in Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he's going to reap. Don't, you know, what you do, that is so often rolling back into your life. And so he's calling us not to be that. By the way, Jesus one-ups that. He turns it not just from a negative thing to a positive thing. And so there, in what we know is the golden rule, he says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If you were to take maybe the proverb that says, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you, Jesus says, no, actually, you make it positive. You, you go and treat them the way you want to be treated. You go and, and you make this so that not only are you, you know, not creating a pit because you don't want to fall into it. I'm not just going to hurt other people because I don't want to be hurt, but I want to do good. You know, I want to begin to value this in an entirely different way, which is a great way to go. All right, one more. Verse 28, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it and a flattering mouth works ruin. So this is what we've been looking at, this last part of this verse, just talking about the tongue, its power, its destruction. And he just simply says, hey, that lying tongue, it hates those who crush it, it crushes. It, it does this. It's a destructive thing. It's something that we should be able to look at and say, ugh, bad, bad thing. It says this flattering mouth that says things that aren't true. It is destructive. And in one sense, by this final proverb, it's as if looking back over all the things that we've said and said, this is a bad thing. I mean, like the mouth can hurt people. Words hurt. Words wound. Words are destructive. Being a tailbearer, being a gossip, being somebody who stirs up strife, all of these things we'd sit there and say, we just want to look that and say, hey, this is a bad thing. Something that God would call us away from. So again, I say all this, and it might be again that you're like, Jim, I agree. Like these are things, these are values that I have in my life, and I'm trying to live up to that. I mean, you know, I find myself at times being moved by being angry or being a gossip that I didn't mean to be, but you have the values just, you know, polar opposites in your life, good. But if it's not, I just want to set them that way, that you'd say, okay, these are true, and God, make me more the kind of person you want me to be. And I just want to tell you, he does that. So I think about it this way, you know, we were reading today, if you're reading through the Bible with us, 
Uh, you're in the Psalms with us. We read Psalm 51, which is David's incredible prayer of repentance. It's a great psalm to read both in its entirety because it works through so many issues that kind of just talk about finding forgiveness and being made right before God. But I just want to point out a couple and we'll close there. He begins the psalm in Psalm 51 by saying, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now, maybe it needs to happen tonight. Maybe we've touched on something tonight that you're like, ouch, you know, that is me. That is where I am right now. That is stuff that, you know, maybe I have that anger or maybe I've been a gossip or maybe I've hurt people and just called it a joke. And maybe God's just kind of saying, hey, you know, just come and say, God, meet me, meet me in mercy. Come and blot out my transgressions. Wash me on the basis of who you are, on, on your incredible mercy. He goes on as acknowledging what God wants. And he says in verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. I liked this part of it because it reflects some of what we're saying tonight. God, you're, you're not looking for me to be a hypocrite, to just say nice things on the outside and be angry on the inside. You want me to be true on the inside out. You, you want to deal with the man, that woman that I am, and, and you're longing for that truth. You're wanting to, to make that known in me. So he just says, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. If you would just wash my sin away. And again, no time to go into it like I would love to, but hyssop is a powerful picture. It was used in the Old Testament for the application of blood. It was used very specifically in the Passover lamb where they would take the, the blood of the Passover lamb and put it on the doorpost. And it was that which was a used to, to apply that which brings forgiveness. That opens up incredible doors for us because for us, the lamb is Jesus. He's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we would come and say, God, purge me. Take the blood of Christ. Let the blood of Christ that just washes away, clean me, wash me. And that's, that makes me whiter than snow. That just makes me whiter than snow. Now, again, maybe you're here this evening and you don't know Jesus. I'm just inviting you to this. This is where he could, he could take the broken spaces of who we are and bring us to Christ, and he could make you new. And he does that. Maybe you know Jesus, and it's still that process. I was still saying, God, I'm still in that place of just being cleansed, just being washed constantly. And so we need that. So I end with just that verse there where he just simply says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Just renew this steadfast spirit in me. He says, God, I want to be that person who is clean. I want to have that not just a, a good persona, I want, I want to be that person on the inside so that, you know, that, that what you're doing inside is forming that in me, that you're forming in me in, into the, a Christ-like man and woman, you know, so I could have that, and I just want to invite you into that this evening. Again, maybe it's right where you are. Maybe we touched on something this evening that you're just needing to say, God, just like, ugh. Fix me, like fix me on the inside out, you know, change me so that I'm doing this better so I'm not that person, so I'm not the person that creates problems and I'm not the person that feeds gossip and I'm not the person that enjoys gossip and, and, and I'm kind of growing in these things and so you just come and say, God, make me this. And I wanna tell you, that is what he does. He is in that process of changing us from the inside out and so I need it. I imagine for many of you tonight, well, want to step into it. So let's just take a moment and pray for that ask that God would meet us in this, that he would rescue us from this lying tongue, from a flattering mouth that works ruin. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we think about these things this evening, and we've done our best to kind of look at this and just say, God, you're right. And sin and the world and the devil, they're wrong. Wanting to create us to be lazy, hateful, 
gossipers, things that are just altogether different from you. God, where you found that in us tonight, would you have mercy on us? Would you cleanse us? you're, you're You're not pleased with that. Would you apply the blood of Christ? Would you take that which was of the hyssop and and make us whiter than snow, just in a fresh way? Jesus, I think about you just washing our feet and so needing. God, would you create in us that which is good? Would you create in us that, that, that true heart, that steadfast spirit? Make it true of us this evening. We ask for it from you. In Jesus' name.